Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. Today's guest, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or clients. We also thank our co-presenting sponsor, The Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. The news presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt and Kentucky play men's basketball on Tuesday night. That game, 6 Central in Memorial Gym. If you're not there, you can see it on ESPN. Our guest line on which George Plaster appears is brought to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, which means they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. George Plaster joins me from Nashville Sports Radio. George, last time we talked, it was an eventful day since we talked. I think that there's been some interesting undercurrents at Vanderbilt, I think to say the least. Vanderbilt has won a basketball game. Baseball season is upon us, thank God, so there's that. Anyway, lots to get into today. I think we will probably stick more to the Vanderbilt end of things in terms of Malcolm Turner's ouster and the stuff in the aftermath of that, but anyway, you're the perfect guy to talk about a lot of this, and thanks for joining me today. Happy to do it. Hope you're doing well. It's a great day to play baseball. (laughs) It feels like Vanderbilt baseball weather already, doesn't it? You know, I have always thought that the NCAA needs to figure out a way to make that an April to early July sport. I know know what the argument is. It would probably kill the Cape Cod League and, and those kind of summer leagues. But baseball in this part of the country and virtually every part of the country other than Florida and California, it wasn't meant to be played in this kind of weather. Yeah, I feel you on that. It's, um, I was thinking the other day, it's like, you know, they never open Vanderbilt. I shouldn't say never. They opened with Duke here a couple of years ago, I think, to open the season. But it's like they always go somewhere else to play the first week or two. And I'm like, well, you dummy, the answer's right in front of you. Yeah, it's called the weather map. Bingo. Okay, you and I were talking before we started recording, and I asked you a question, and before I even gave you the chance to answer, I said, hey, let's table this, and let's let's let me ask you this again on the podcast, because I think this is interesting. Athletics has been dysfunctional at Vanderbilt in one form or fashion for at least 60 years. I have a lot of questions 
about its dysfunction going forward at this point. I know in the past, Vanderbilt has always had boosters who've pushed and had influence and all sorts of things, but this nut has been an awfully tough one to crack. Why do you think that is? Well, you're right about one thing. Uh, I guess the history lesson would be that, you know, today most Vanderbilt fans consider John Ingram the team owner, and I say that uh, in a positive way, not in a negative, because John has put in his has put his heart and soul, you know, into trying to make this better, and he's put his money where his mouth is. And before that, it was John Rich. John Rich was a wonderful man who really cared deeply about Vanderbilt athletics. I don't know that I know the answer perfectly to the question, but here's my gut feeling. You know, it's, it's sort of one against 16, whatever the number of board members may be, that there just aren't enough of them, um, you know, for, for a John Rich or a John Ingram uh, to win the day. And I think after a while, you just get beat down by that feeling that you're the only one in the room that seems to care about this. You know, it's a school that has not ever grasped the possibility that good athletics could help your overall school. Everybody else seems to get that. Uh, Northwestern, when they went to the Rose Bowl under Gary Barnett, I bring up that particular uh, deal a lot because it's so obvious. I mean, you can see the tangible benefits. And to me, it's just something that Vanderbilt has never figured out, never grasped, never understood. And for all the smarts, that's pretty stupid. Well, let's start with John. John is a wonderful human being. John is the only thing that has kept this going for a while. Um, I sense he may get just, I mean, I think at some point everybody gets disillusioned and disenchanted with it. And I look back to what he tried to do. Oh, man, I don't know if it's been three years now with the soccer stadium, which I think John saw as a great opportunity to do something that was darn near impossible to get done at Vanderbilt. I think we're going to see that. I think they're going to be back in Dudley Field, and God knows what they will or will not do with it. And I think that with the purchase of land around the athletic facilities, I think once that land is repurposed into whatever the university is going to use it for, then clearly, unless something really crazy happens, Vanderbilt will be locked into that spot for Probably as long as any of us are alive, who knows? But anyway, back to where I was going with John in the soccer stadium. John saw an opportunity to help Vanderbilt. And was it ideal? No. But the point is, it's so tough to get anything done. That was making the best of a bad situation. And that's when everybody gets put in a bad spot, which happens constantly over there. Was it the ideal solution? No. Was it probably the best thing they were going to get? I think we're seeing the answer to that now. And John got thrown in the middle and attacked on Twitter and message boards and all kinds of stuff for trying to do a good deed for Vanderbilt that was not going to be done otherwise. 
And I just think that's the frustration that Vanderbilt puts everybody in. It's refusal to do stuff like anybody else would. Then you go into the workarounds, and then you get criticized for being part of the workaround when it might be the best you can do. And I just cannot think of how many times you see stuff like that at Vandy where you just never know who to blame or never to know who to say, well, this guy didn't push hard enough or that guy didn't push hard enough because, like I said, nobody has been able to crack this nut in our lifetimes. I think one of the other things that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot, I think that there is a culture on that campus, particularly um, fueled by the, the faculty, that athletics is going to get out of control. It's going to run the university. And if you don't keep your thumb on it, you know, the devil on earth is going to arise. And I think that's just such a bunch of bull. Um, All they're trying to do, the people that care, is have a fighting chance to not play these games with their hand tied behind their back, you know, while everybody else has got weapons you know, you're fighting this battle with a musket. And I'm not sure I really know what a musket is, but it sounded good. It did sound good. Well, I will push back on that just a little bit, okay? Do I agree with what you said generally? Yes, I do. But I also saw James Franklin and how that guy operated. And I'll be honest, he was just a bad guy. I don't think James was very honest. I don't think I still know the extent of some of the stuff he probably did. Um, And all that to say, James was the one guy that cracked it. Now, I think there were some things to James that were legitimate. I think the way that he worked at things, the way that he pushed players, the way that he was organized and didn't miss tricks, those are things that separate that from the character element of James Franklin. Those are things that could be emulated, and I think those are things that, frankly, Derek Mason is terrible at. I think that's why he is failing there. But we are not far off still the Vandenberg incident, which embarrassed the university, and I will give David Williams a lot of credit, okay? I think that David handled that well, and by turning it over and letting people get to the bottom of things, now I think that backfired on them some ways, but I don't really fault the effort on David's part. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying, and I think they overreacted, and I think James gave that element of the university perfect cover because you know and I know there are misdeeds in the other parts of the university. If it happens in the engineering department or somewhere like that, they don't say, well, engineering's bad. We better keep an eye on these engineers. I think it's very selective. I think it's very snobbish. But to be fair... There was an element of that that provided a backdrop for the last few years. Well, I think you've said it perfectly. Um, That was an incident that brought a lot of attention to Vanderbilt athletics, and it was unwarranted. You know, it was uh, attention that nobody wanted. But you're absolutely right. I mean, to say that those kind of things only go on in athletics is not true. And you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, were there three or four athletes that participated in that particular deal in something that was a horrible crime? Absolutely. Does that mean that the other 250 athletes are all like that? 
No, it doesn't. And to me, what it did do was it allowed the university an easy out to say, you know what? They've been getting a little out of control. This guy Franklin has been pushing for things and an agenda that we really aren't comfortable with. Look, I think all of us that know anything about this believe that they had no intention of building that indoor practice facility. And it was simply James Franklin's pushing and cajoling and whatever words you want to use that got that thing done. And, you know, I think all of that combined, it just allowed the school the easy out to say, we have got to get them under control. Agreed. Okay, I'm going to give some background before we go further. I think people have probably heard me say this before. Really, I guess about, oh, I don't know, 17 of the first 18 or 19 years of my professional life were spent in higher ed. Um, Some of that was getting a master's degree, but I had a graduate assistantship in the middle of that too, so I was still working in that field. And then I started the site that I run now and now run full-time, part-time while I was still working in higher ed. So I have 17 years of that and then 17 years of this. And again, those run concurrently some of that time. So I'm, I feel like I'm in a really, really unique position to sort of size up what has gone on because I know how things work. I know I've seen some crazy stuff firsthand. And I never worked at Vanderbilt But I know there's some commonalities in people and commonalities in that world. And so I feel like I watch this thing and I feel like sometimes you don't know, but you get a sense about where things are or are not coming from. I will say this, again, knowing how that world works, so much of higher ed is protecting your clique, being part of one, and sticking together. And a lot of times people rise to power in higher ed who aren't very good at their jobs. But they know how to have each other's backs, and they have the checks and the balances in the place to protect themselves. And so I think that there's a lot of that that's gone on at Vandy in different places. And there are times, and I've heard this more than once, you hear people inside that department saying stuff like, you know, I think I've heard it, and certainly other people have told me these things. Like when you hear people say things like, well, man, I hope we don't make the postseason because that's more work for me. Um, I don't know. It's just a weird environment in which sports operates, and especially at a place like Vanderbilt. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate when you hear that kind of thing. And I know the exact story you're talking about uh, because I've heard the exact same story. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that that kind of thing goes on. I also think that after a lengthy period of time that people just started getting beat down. And I used to always believe that the the biggest thing that would go on is that if you got into one of these trends where you did a lot of losing, you just started to accept it because it helps ease the pain. You know, yeah, we did well, we did the best we could, blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't think anybody, I don't think there's any sinister plot there. I just think it's human nature 
that after you keep getting beat down and beat down, mentally you start to throw in the towel and just say, to hell with it. I see it in women's basketball right now, and I don't really follow that sport, but that's a sport, and granted, Melanie Balkum left that program in terrible shape, but they went to, what, 20 straight NCAA tournaments at one point? Right. And now you see people talking about how good a job Stephanie White's doing turning that program around. I'm like, man, they're, what, 3-8 and eight at this point or whatever they are, 3-7, and seven, and I don't think they've really beaten much of anybody. I just see some of that right now that fans are so low, no, except baseball and some of the Olympic sports from this, but I just see fans at such a low point with some of these other sports that it seems like they're almost saying things to make themselves feel better that you never would have dreamed of five years ago. Well, I'll I'll give you a for instance. We both know what that gym is going to look like tonight. It's going to be a whole lot more blue than there is black and gold. Right. And in, in kind of the heyday of my sports talk life, probably one of the biggest mistakes I made was I kept pounding away and pounding away that Vanderbilt needed to get into the marketing and promotions business and start to get serious about it. And what ended up happening was people heard it so much, they got tired of it. And they got angry at the messenger, who was me, and yet what I was saying was probably dead on right. And the proof is now kind of in the pudding. Um, You get to a point where, you know, the first time you see one of these football or basketball games where it turns into a jailbreak and the other team has all the fans there, you're appalled by it. But after you see it over and over and over and over, you just accept it. You just say that's the way it is and move on. Well, for Memorial Gym, it's really a sad deal. And this is the living proof that I'm a lot older than I want to admit that I am. Because I grew up in an environment where Memorial Gym was an incredible home field advantage. That place was a snake pit. It was one of the five to ten toughest arenas in the country for a visiting team to come to. And I'm not talking about the fact that the benches are in the end zone. It was a crowd. It was the, the scenario where, and I know a lot of people won't believe this, but I witnessed it where the students would be there an hour to an hour and a half before the game uh, because they knew that's what they needed to do to be able to get a seat in that student section. And they would play cards and they would, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff. And from an athletic department position, their biggest fear was that the fire marshal would come in and say, wait a minute, you can't have this many people in here. I can remember a game against LSU after a fight down in Baton Rouge where the place was at a fever pitch. And they probably jammed about 17,500 people in there that particular night because the students turned out in mass. Well, now you look and you know what it is. You've got, you know, 50 to 100 students who care enough to be there. Uh, maybe not all because of losing. Maybe that's more of a a generational thing, but the bottom line is for those of us who know what it used to be, 
walking into Memorial Gym is really sad. It is. There are so many places we could go today. I think the frustrating thing is, and I think Vanderbilt's fan base is finally learning this, there's been a tendency, and I don't think this is just Vanderbilt, for people to shoot the messenger when the criticism comes. And I know in your case, the criticism came from a place of, you know what goes on, and you're hoping somebody will look into it. Um, I guess is a fair way to say it, or knowing that somebody should look into it. And then you just get buried under your own avalanche of criticism. And by the time anybody figures out you were right about stuff, it's too late. Well, whatever the case, I didn't want to be right. But I really feared that, um, that they were headed down a path I'm not sure I ever thought it would get this bad. This is a level of bad that even I never saw coming. Um, but I can remember, I can remember vividly. There was a football game in 1998. Tennessee was on a path that ultimately was going to lead them to a national title, and they came in to play Vandy. And it was about 37,000 Tennessee fans and about 4,000 Vanderbilt fans. And, um, you know, I, the next Monday I went off on the air and I threw a cheap shot out there. Vanderbilt had just bought, uh, you know, the, the golf course or had been given the golf course or whatever. And I, I did this stupid open letter to Todd Turner basically saying, you know, if all you're concerned about is improving your golf game, uh, shame on you, because those kids, those seniors who came out for senior day and instead walked into Neyland Stadium Jr., you know, they deserve better. And, you know, it was one of the dumb things. I've done a lot of dumb things over the years, uh, but I know where my heart's been. And, and that is that that should never happen. And yet it has happened. And now it's happened repeatedly. This is where I am right now. And I've said that for several weeks, I kept getting asked about facilities and I just had a sense that's not where the story was. That the story was, is Malcolm Turner viable at Vanderbilt and for how long? And my gut on that was right, which you have to be careful just because you're right about one thing does not mean that you're right about others. But again, I've got background on this that goes back a long time. That's a lot of your job as a reporter is to have these conversations that don't necessarily lead anywhere, but you get something that sticks in the back of your head that maybe you use a couple years later. And man, I certainly had some of that stuff on Turner from the beginning. And you can't say it at the time for good reasons. Uh, but I'll just say that the scouting report I got on Malcolm Turner turned out to be very accurate. Um, people keep asking me about facilities to me, I just still feel like the story is where's leadership going with a lot of things there and where's athletics leadership going and where should it go? Well, 
Well, first of all, I don't know. I don't know any of this. This is nothing but speculation. But the timing of the resignation dash firing right before the board of trust is going to meet. I don't know if that gives the board of trust an out on something they really weren't all that excited about to begin with and just sweep it under the rug. Or do they do, you know, what I laughingly have called phase one plants and urinals and, you know, act like that's some big deal. You know, let, let's just play this game because we all do it at some point. If the game is, if I were the athletic director, okay, if I were and I was given the uh, mandate to try to get facilities up to par, I think the first thing I would do would be to take the staff that is there and say, okay, I would like your input. I'd like to spend a day as a staff discussing all this. I want coaches' input. I want input of those of you who have been here for a long time, and let's go. Okay, you do that. Step number two would be to sit down with um, a broad range of student-athletes and say, okay, tell us, tell us what your needs are. Tell us what's most important for you because ultimately – all this is being done to benefit you. And then once you've got a pretty good consensus of, okay, here's where we need to start. Here's where we need to go. Step two, step three, step four. Then you do bring in somebody in the architectural world, engineering world, whatever to say, okay, how much of this is possible? And that's the way I would have handled that. Uh, you know, I've heard all the different stories of, you know, they had five or six different consultants in there. I don't know if that's necessary. I don't think it is. Uh, but Malcolm Turner apparently did think it, it was necessary. So on that front, he and I would probably disagree on the method by which we go about trying to do this. I don't think there's any doubt that he did some spending on some things he probably shouldn't have done. Um, that said, did nobody in that athletic department know that at the time? And did nobody have the guts to walk in to say to him, Hey, you need to cool it. This doesn't work in a university environment. I mean, that's a fair question. Oh, um, it is an absolutely fair question. Because I think I think the chancellor and the CFO of finance had to know about it, or the CFO of the school, excuse me, had to know about those things. And I just heard so much stuff about tension with him. There was starting to be some of that with the university development office. So I don't know what that was about. I really have no idea. But I have a question of how much they wanted Malcolm to succeed. Um, and with that, I think you asked one of the questions I'm asking. Here's the other question I'm asking, because it seems like there are some big contradictions here, George. Because if 
All those consultants weren't needed, and I heard a number along the lines of what you've heard, which is frankly staggering. Then either somebody should have put a stop to that, or if he needed that many consultants, then what in the world does that say about the competency of the people that worked around him in that AD? I mean, it seems to me like you can't have that both ways. Yeah, look, not that I've spent a ton of time in intercollegiate athletics. I mean, basically for three years, as most people know, I worked in Belmont's athletic department. And I think uh, I think we're a really good athletic department about getting in a room and talking things through. Gosh, we, you know, one of the things that we met over and over about was how to celebrate Rick Bird's 800th victory because he's a very humble person who really doesn't get into a lot of the celebration. And we wanted to make sure we did it tastefully. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, it, it showed that this was an event um, of, of huge magnitude, but we had a lot of meetings. I mean, I think people would be shocked how many meetings we had over that subject. And there were great ideas that came from a lot of different people. And Scott Corley, our athletic director, was very open to hearing those. He didn't give us the, I'm the only person in the room whose opinion matters. And ultimately, we did some really cool stuff. We had three or four of the other coaches who were in the 800 Victory Club on tape congratulating Rick. And we were able to do most of it pretty clandestine. But the point was that, you know, there are a lot of people in an athletic department who have some brains and you have to listen to them. But at the same time, if, if the kind of spending that was going on truly was going on, then there were some people that probably need to walk in and say, Malcolm, this is not going to fly and you need to understand why it's not going to fly and reverse course a little bit. Well, the inner circle of decision-making over there, from what both of us understand, went in this order. Turner, Tommy Smith, and Candace Lee. The first two were gone, and the last is now running the AD. Right. And we don't know at this point how this is all going to play out. If, you know, if I had to put a bet on it, my guess is that they will name Candace the permanent athletic director shortly after the new chancellor arrives. Now, I'm not naive enough to not believe that the the new chancellor, the guy who's still in Chicago, I'm sure he knew every step of the way, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, how this was all playing out. Uh, there's no way that the interim chancellor didn't keep him updated every minute of the day because, let's face it, she doesn't know what her future is. And so she decided to take the, we're not going to spend any money kind of thing. We're going to be fiscally responsible because ultimately she needs to look good in this new guy's eyes. I mean, that's her, you know, that's got to be some of her um, motivation in this thing. 
Yeah, I don't know. I the whole thing is weird. Um, well, the whole thing's a mess. Well, it is, and that's the thing. I think if I'm Vanderbilt before I'm making any decisions, I'm finding an outside party to look into that that does not report back to people on campus where people can talk and the report maybe goes directly to the chair of the board. Cause I just don't have a good feel about things. I think you just have a sense when things don't feel right. My sense of things not feeling right kind of led me to the Turner story. And I'm sorry. I know that that press conference wanted us to all sit there and celebrate and it seemed like there was an element of, hey, look over here, and let's not talk about what's over there. And that bugged me, too. Now, maybe that's nothing. Maybe it's something. But when you've got, I think, George, I think you've got a figure of misspent money that could be as much as $15 million. I don't think that's a small thing. I don't think that's just a you whistle past the graveyard <laughs> behind you and don't ask questions, and I, I think that's something that you sink your teeth into, and maybe there are explanations, but man, it is hard for me to imagine what those are looking at this from the outside. I just keep getting the sense that we don't have the whole story because I think what's in front of us is not adding up. Well, let, let's let's go to the scoreboard here um, because here's here's part of why we don't know a lot of things. We've got a soon-be chancellor in Chicago that nobody knows anything about. He certainly has not gone on the record to any great extent about athletics. Now, Malcolm Turner did tell me that the, the time that he visited campus, that he did talk to people in the athletic department, and Malcolm told me at that point that he was encouraged by that. But whatever the case, we don't have this guy on the record any great extent about any feelings about athletics so we don't really know anything then there's the interim chancellor and she's done what every chancellor other than gordon gee has done and that's basically be unavailable for comment uh she hasn't said anything nobody really knows anything from her and then you've got candace who put a press conference on before the lsu game and while She's able to handle herself very well in those settings. She said absolutely nothing. That, that You talk about a complete waste of time. If you were trying to gauge anything that might be going on through her, you got virtually nothing. So the three people that are most in this now, we don't know anything. And that's a shame. And... You know, it's totally the, the one chancellor that was ever open about some things was Gordon Gee. And I laugh every time I think about it because Gordon Gee came on my show repeatedly and was funny, answered people's questions, told everybody I'm going to be an open book. Um, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the method that you go about every last thing. But I think at some point, somebody needs to talk because the, the fan base deserves better than what they're getting out of this, which is you, you don't you don't need to know anything. 
we'll let you know when we decide you ought to know. Two things to the fan base. There's been nothing for the fan base in a while. The press release, the press conference, those things to me were aimed at pleasing an internal audience at Vanderbilt that's the not-rock-the-boat crowd because there was nothing for the fans in any of that. Uh, And that's been going on a while. And that's the second thing. It just felt to me, and again, this is just an observation based on all I got at this point. It felt to me like a repeat of 2014 to 2018 where Wente wasn't out in front of anybody. Wente declined, and if people don't know, Susan Wente is the interim chancellor, declined Adam Sparks' request to speak. I've not seen or heard her speak on anything with athletics since. Uh, That reads a lot like Nick Zeppos was. You couldn't get him to comment on anything, just wouldn't talk. Watching Candace speak reminded me an awful lot of David Williams because there was a lot of talking, it was very polished, but there wasn't a whole lot of substance. And look, maybe I'm connecting dots that aren't there, but that's the other thing that has bugged me. Excuse me. Um. Yeah, I mean, look, who knows where this is going? And, you know, in the David Williams report card, there's some good things. There's also a period of time in the last two or three years where absolutely nothing went on. Um, I do wonder a little bit if Malcolm Turner uh, could help himself by releasing certain data that says, okay, you know, the narrative out there is that I was a spending machine, blah, blah, blah. Here's what I was spending it on. And maybe give us a little bit of a, uh, you know, an understanding of what he was doing. Now, that said, I don't doubt that in whatever settlement they may have come to, that neither party is going to say anything uh, negative toward the other. That often happens in those kind of separations. Uh, and I don't know that. I'm just openly speculating. No, I mean, you and I both know that's how the world works. And from what I've heard, he walked away with nothing in the settlement, which is, if that's true, that's pretty telling. Yeah, that would be unusual. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I would love to be able to talk to him to get a little bit more of his side of the story of, okay, what were you spending money on? Because the narratives out there that he was this massive spending machine and we don't know exactly what all was there, but here's the part that is a little bit surprising. I believe I know enough about university life that if he was spending a huge amount of money within a few days, the university would know it because the mechanisms are in place at virtually any school that they are going to know exactly what it is you're doing. 
And if they don't know what you're doing, then it's your fault. You know, you can't have it both ways. If the school says, well, we had no idea this was going on, well, why the hell not? Okay, I think they did know, and I guess I'm wondering early on if they were that bothered by what he was doing, why wasn't there a checks and balances very early saying, Malcolm, this is not the route we're going. And it just seems very convenient that all of this exploded the week that the board of trust was going to have their meeting. Well, just yes, a cynical me throwing out kind of a cynical thought, which is, wow, the timing of this is really unusual. Those things are dog and pony shows. Um, She got to be the, I guess the presenter of the whole thing just in the nick of time, which look, now, having said that, that may have just been coincidence. I think they needed to walk away from the Turner relationship as quickly as they could. So, maybe that's entirely defensible. Maybe it's coincidental. I don't know. Um, no, no, there didn't seem to be a lot of blowback from a lot of things I said the last few weeks. Uh, so, there's that, too. Well, it's not, Chris, it's not as though he made a secret of the fact that he had hired consultants. Bingo. To help him with right, this. right. I mean, he came on my radio show as a guest in studio in October and said all of that. I mean, well, it wouldn't need yeah, and secret now. I may not have known how many consultants and I may not have known the price tag, but he, he made no attempt to cover or hide that, that he was hiring consultants to help him. Well, and here's what I'd like to know you have people in that AD including Candace Story Lee, who's been there 20 years. I mean, you'd think they'd have picked up on something in that time there. I'm thinking, you know, did she go to him and say, hey, look, um, you know, I'm available. I know some stuff. I've worked here for a while. I know how higher ed works. I know how college athletics works. And he just ignored her for whatever reason. Was that effort not made? I really don't know. I just think, I look at this and I think it doesn't add up. And to the stuff that you said on budgets and spending, I've talked to a couple of sources on this stuff in depth. And the thing that both of them said is the CFO at that university knows every penny that's spent. And when it's spent, no, the only way that you can conceal stuff like that is if maybe you didn't turn in bills for a while, but I don't have any evidence that that's the truth, and I think that it was going on for a while. Um, I, I don't know. Wherever you turn, it just there are just dots that don't connect, and, and I think that's where we both are. Yeah, I mean, all I can do is say in the in the three years that uh, that I was at Belmont, I think I know enough to know that uh, number one, you have to be a good steward of money. Uh, I feel like I was during that time, and uh, do I believe that I could spend ten to fifteen million dollars before President Fisher, you know, called me? for a meeting to say, George, this is not how we operate, you know, undo what you've done. 
I mean, look, I know the answer. Uh, you know, uh, we wouldn't have gotten, you know, to to one million. Um, and I'm using Belmont because that's the place that I've worked. And I just know that in a university setting, they know exactly what's being spent. And I'm pretty confident that Vanderbilt knew exactly what was being spent. But I think the rules of engagement changed. Zeppos apparently hired him and gave him this mandate uh, to, to start to fix the problem, much of which he helped cause because for years he just sat there doing absolutely nothing. So I guess I am a little bit amused that Zeppos was the one telling Malcolm Turner, you know, go get this fixed. Oh, and their thing on spending is selective because now, from what I hear, these are like draconian cutbacks where what's coming from what I hear, you're talking about levels that I've never seen at Vanderbilt. And again, in and of itself, spending cuts at this point are appropriate, but at the same time, I think they're going to start to affect some vital functions of the AD operations. In fact, I know they are already. Um, I was working on another story from Monday, and I couldn't quite get where I wanted to with it, but that's kind of the backdrop. Is some of this stuff is starting to squeeze the vital functions of the AD itself, things where money needs to be spent. Uh, and so it's like, again, if you were if your thing is to look out for the whole thing and make sure it operates efficiently, it just seems like this should have been stopped a long time ago. And now it is, I don't know if it's going to be for show now uh, to say that, oh, you know, now that now that we're in charge and all this money's gone, this is how it's going to be done. Um, I, I don't know if it's that or what it is, but it just is... It doesn't seem to serve the athletic department the way this whole thing went down. Um, and that's where I am. Well, I guess here may be the bottom line question. Okay, Malcolm Turner's gone, but certainly if if what we've been led to believe is true, there's at least a blueprint of something that all these consultants have left behind saying, here's what you need to do, boom, 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 okay? Were those things brought before the Board of Trust on Saturday? If they were, are they truly being considered, or is there more of a, look, let's just sweep this thing under the rug, we'll buy a few extra plants, fix up some urinals, and call it a renovation project, and hope nobody notices. You know, what what is now going on? Is well, all that work that Turner supposedly was doing for naught, uh, is she now presenting all this to the board? And, you know, because she has their favor, she'll get more done than he was doing. We don't know. They did have a board presentation last week. It was for a building that goes in the open end zone and connects to basketball, allegedly. I don't know all the details. It sounds like it'll be pretty nice, so I think they're going to get that. From what I understand, the board presentation was a formality. So I think that at least it seems to me like they've got one victory in hand. My question is how far will they push from here? 
I had a source tell me this morning, he says, I think people will be a little surprised maybe with some things they'll do. And, you know, hey, Malcolm doesn't look good in this, but who knows, maybe the guy raised a lot of money that's going to make this possible too. And I think that would not excuse the stuff that went on, but it might make him look a little better when all this is said and done. Those are a lot of hypotheticals. The one that I think I'm pretty confident on is the own zone building, but the question I have right now is just where does it go from here? Yeah, because, look, that's nice, but it's a deck chair off the Queen Mary. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more work to be done there, and we all know, you know, that's that's absolutely the truth. You know, it all comes down to the question of how serious are they about all this? And... You know, more and more, I lean to, yeah, they're serious enough to give it lip service, but not much more than that. Here is the other thing that I wanted to circle back to. And this is when I talk about spending and spending control being selective over there. I mean, Nick Zeppos, from what I understand, had some cost overruns his last few years. And I think this would be a few years put together that, dwarf what Malcolm did. Um, Zeppos also had that extravagant retirement party. And look, you've had, I think you had a little bit more extravagant spending for the people in charge under David Williams than, than maybe people perceive. My understanding is that they drew a really tight circle around that AD. And David didn't let a lot of people in to ask a lot of questions about what went on, uh, which is another thing. But I, I don't know. I was Malcolm Turner right in what he did? No. Is there a lot of hypocrisy in this? I think so. Yeah. I mean, listen, there are a lot of questions still to be answered. Um, you know, my best bet in this thing is that Candace is going to become the athletic director shortly. The, the, we'll have the interim tag removed. I guess the the only question I've got is, will they go through, um, you know, the the process of talking to other people, interviewing other people? Um, I don't know. Um, My guess is that they're not going to, and um, and so we go from there. Yeah. Last thing on that before I get into a couple of mailbag questions and get you out of here, one of which I think you just answered. The, the lightning round. The lightning <laughs> round. Well, yeah. here is the other thing where they're just double standards, okay? The thing that I kept hearing on Mason was they can't really get rid of Derek until there's a new transfer in place, yada, yada, yada. Well, they just got rid of an AD. Uh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> those so are t- throw out that theory. Right. Now, those are – Granted, different circumstances. Again, um, I question how much effort was made to work with the AD and help him from falling in his own trap, but we talked about that. The other thing is, if you're going to stick to that narrative, then I don't think that you can let anybody have that AD spot until the chancellor's in there, and then he gets a chance to make up his own mind, and I think it should be a search. So... If they if they just hand this to Candace, it goes against a lot of the rationale they have given in other things. And look, maybe she is the most qualified person of the for the job. 
She's been there a while. She deserves a shot. But if it's just handed to her, that goes against the reasons that we were told they could make decisions on other things. And again, they just did one of those. They, you know, they, they've already made a change in AD. Yeah, only time will tell when this guy gets here. All right, you ready for the lightning round? Sure. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan and independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. Are you in the market for auto, motorcycle, home, renters, or landlord insurance? What about life or commercial insurance? Call Josh at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. I hope you will make him yours. Uh, Mr. Vandy asked, do you think Candace will be the full-time AD or will they really search for someone else? I think we just hit that, but if you've got any loose ends, uh, I'll let you wrap those up. I have absolutely no proof of anything in all of this. This is nothing more than a gut feeling. My gut feeling is that she will be the interim uh, the, the permanent athletic director uh, and will be named shortly after the new chancellor gets here. Uh, I don't know whether they're going to do a search to talk to other people or not, but my gut feeling is that she will be the next athletic director. Dorking says, prediction for the crowd tonight against Kentucky and the game. I would guess it's a lot like a year ago. Uh, I don't think it'll be a sellout. I think it's a lot more difficult for Kentucky fans to get down here, um, you know, on a, on a weeknight than it would be if it were a Saturday game. I'm going to guess it's a lot like a year ago where they had about 12,000 and it looked like about two thirds, maybe more than that were Kentucky fans. Uh, if I was going to guess, that's kind of what I think tonight will look like. Yeah, I think you'll be there. I will not. My son turns six today, so we are taking him out to eat, which is what he wants. Um, nice. But, but I have a feeling it'll be a good birthday. game. Yeah, and I'll I'll be watching later. Sean Williams will be covering for us at the at the gym itself. But you know, that's another thing that's a shame. That rivalry used to be so much fun. It, look, I would not completely put it past him to sneak out a win. Because other than the give-up game in Memorial last year, they played Kentucky tough. Now, they haven't come away with a win any time recently, but that game has been closer than we thought. They did it in Lexington. Now, maybe that got Kentucky's attention, and Kentucky wipes the floor with Vanderbilt tonight. But I think there is a little bit of intrigue to this one that I didn't think was going to be there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, look, um, they're playing hard. There's no quit in that team at all, which I think has impressed a lot of people. Um, you know, I think they know what they're doing. I think they have a limited amount of talent. From an X's and O's standpoint, I don't have any major complaints. I don't think anybody else does either. Um, I think in that respect, Stackhouse is winning people over on that part of the job. The, the recruiting is now the big question the big bugaboo and only time will tell how that solves itself george appreciate you joining us today i will be on your show this afternoon at a time i don't think we've decided yet but sometime between two, two and four how about 220 220 works for me <laughs> it is now settled on air as we speak <laughs> right now now people know 
okay, here's how you schedule stuff. Well, and what's going to happen is you're going to text me in about two hours saying, hey, something's come up, and we need to move this guy to this, and then I'll be on at 320, <laughs> which is totally fine with uh, me. You know, but, you know what? I don't think that's going to happen this time um, because I know, I know what we've got at 305. So, uh, <laughs> yes, this is how Sports Talk Radio operates. George is well out ahead of the day now. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Organized, show prep, you name it. It might be a golf outing in between. Uh, not a chance. I guess it's raining, isn't first it? First of all, well, first of all, my golf game sucks. Uh, but secondly, if you think I'm going to take that wretched level out in this weather, not a Yeah, this is why I need a window. It's got to be sunny in 70. <laughs> I have no window in my office, so... Uh, although it's been seems like it's been the same weather for most of the last two weeks, but uh, George, uh, tell people where to find the show on the dial, where they can find it on the app, online, anything like that. Okay, um, my show is uh, two to four p.m. Monday through Friday on WNSR, which is five sixty on the AM dial, ninety five point nine on FM. And the app is the great equalizer because you can take it anywhere, Baghdad, Bangladesh, whatever. Uh, And it's basically Nashville Sports Radio is the app. Uh, You can go on the website, turn us on. Uh, It's very easy to do. I have even done it, so I know it's easy to do. Uh, This is true. If George can do it, you out there can do it it as well. Oh, listen. If George can do it, truly anybody can do it. That was piling on, wasn't it? No, that's okay. All right. He's George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. We'll have two or three more episodes of the show dropping later in the week, so be sure and look out for those.